everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Studs. My name is Alex Studd. And I'm Ron Studd. And Ron, tonight for episode 36, we got Casey Smagala on the show. How you doing tonight, Casey? Doing well. Doing well. Appreciate the hype, by the way. Oh, yeah. There was no hype. It was just excited. Just excitement, energetic. Thank you for being on the show. Great to be here. And I appreciate the enthusiasm, I guess, is what I should have said. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, so as always, before the show gets going, Ron and I, we are going to have a shot of Malort, the official spirits, the official liquor of Between Two Studs, always gives us a little little extra energy before we start our episode. So this is to you, Casey. Thank you for being on the show. Looking forward to a great episode. It's nice to be here. All right. Casey. Welcome to the Ember Round. Like lightning, man. Let's run through it. Question number one. Question number one. Uh, so what's the backstory? How do you know us? How do you know me? I, I had the distinct privilege of uh, working with you, Mr. Alex Studd, at uh, our former company, Dialogue Tech. I came in as a, uh, a low-level sales dude. It needed to be brought up to speed on all the cool things that they were trying to have us sell. And uh, you were a great coach. Uh, I don't mean to make you blush, might even maybe say mentor at the company, and uh, I think we became fast oh. friends ever since. Well, you know, it, it worked out really well because you, and we'll get into this, you knew so much about Chicago, and I was like brand new, just moved into the city kind of thing, and you were like, you you were always like, oh, we're going to round up the crew, and we're going to go out for lunch, we're going to go here, and I'm like, what's there? And you're like, you'll find out when we get there, <laughs> and you always had these little places to show us. Uh, and it was great for a couple months, and then this little pandemic showed up. I remember joking with one of our colleagues when the office shut down. We were like, man, yeah, like while well, this COVID thing is happening for the next week or so, let's grow mustaches, and we'll have mustaches on all of our Zoom calls. <laughs> Two and a half years later, um, I, uh, the, the mustache did not stick. I wanted to be able to go near playgrounds and such, so I, I took that off. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What are some of your areas of interest? Uh, as, as Alex hit on it there, um, I am a Chicago history and politics buff. That's kind of a hobby of mine. I am when I, my fiance and I went on our first date, June 14th of 2020. Never forget it. No way. Yeah. June 14th is my birthday. Are you kidding? Flag day. Betsy Ross, baby. Serendipity. There it is. I, I told her, I said, you know, I said, yeah, we, we, we're both in our 30s. Uh, obviously, you know, you've dated folks. I've dated folks. So I said, I. I'm just going to put it on the table now, like the skeletons in the closet and the bad habits. That way you're not, you don't feel hoodwinked, you know, a few months into this. And I told her, I said, you know, some guys, you know, some guys aren't loyal. Not a problem here. I said, some guys, you know, some dudes drink too much. I said, never will be an, an issue unless I'm on the Between Two Studs podcast. I said, hmm. I said some guys, you know. You, I'm, glad there were, I'm glad there was that caveat. Yeah, yeah I, I went. Yeah, and right. I told her. Before the podcast started. And I told her, I said, some guys, you know, you're not going to know where they're at on Friday night. I said, me? I won't be out late on a Friday night. But I said, for Saturday morning, I will be up early. I will be bringing donuts to a campaign office of some hack who probably will never win. I'll be giving my hard-earned money to them. I will, will be knocking on doors for them. I said, my, my one bad habit is Chicago politics. I just... It's, it's, it's fun to be in the game. You know, a lot of other folks want to complain about, you know, the, the, the history and the future and the present of our city. And there's a lot to complain about. But um, I just feel like, uh, you know, I get to complain a little bit more because I'm so involved. That's, uh, so that, that's uh, it's a big hobby of mine in addition to, to running uh, uh, my software company. And do the hacks 
out there listening, we love you. Oh yeah, they're 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 my closest friends, so I I, I can say that about them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a term of endearment, uh, so, really. I love that, and so we're gonna get into all that because it's 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 actually really interesting to, to peel back that onion. But you did mention you are drinking tonight on between two studs, so we have to ask. What are you drinking? I, I'm drinking um, Four Roses Small Batch. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, the fiance and I were on a trip in uh, uh, Nashville, Do- Dollyville, I think is where we went. Gatlinville. Dollywood. Oh, yeah. Dollywood, one of those places. Dollywood. And we, we ran yes. into this there. And then ironically, a college teammate of mine bought, me the, bought us this bottle when he was in town a few months ago. So I've been chipping away at it ever since. I have to say, Fantastic. I love Four Roses. I actually, I think early into the pandemic at one point, I decided I went out and I bought, I think, three or four separate bottles of Four Roses. Like, what are their different offerings? Because they're like um, Buffalo Trace, where they mix up their recipe a little bit for each brand, mm. but they have some slightly differences in their taste profile and what you get. And uh, overall, though, Four Roses makes some really good whiskey to sip on, so very I'm nice. So, so you had 16 roses. Yeah, I've had 16. Little little math joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do appreciate the, the Malort uh, shot and sponsorship. We were out to dinner, and I'll talk about this more later, about why I love Chicago so much, because there's so many people who could live anywhere else in the world, but they just so happen to choose to live in Chicago. I think there's many reasons for that. But there's a lot of like international friends of my fiance's, and I bought everybody a shot of Malort. And just to see the looks on their faces is it's priceless. It's priceless and absolutely worth the cost oh. of a shot at a bar, which is like three dollars. I bought. I bought <laughs> not that anybody's listened to me. And, and Alex, you're the marketing stud here. Uh, I always thought it would be wise of Malort to like capture people's faces when they take a shot, and then print that on the back of their bottles. Oh yeah, oh yeah. If I saw like a like a look of terror, yeah. uh, I would be like, I'm buying that. I think we'd be you know we'll 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 let them know. It's kind of like um, the milk bottles when you know when it's like, have you seen this child? Whatever. It would it would just be like this person had this drink. Have you seen this person's reaction to this drink? <laughs> Maybe you want the same. Enjoy. Or well, I like it. You know what it would actually be? I'm thinking, and for those who are uh, watching the video, you can appreciate this more. But it would be one of those flaps where, like, it shows oh, them normal face. Touchdown. And then, and then, and then you open up the flap and you see them. Yeah, touchdown. Brilliant. Yeah. Or maybe I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Are you a two-fisted drinker? If not, open it up and you can see what you'd look like. Like I don't know, something like that maybe. Because that's their other slogan for two-fisted drinkers, right? Oh, it is. nice, nice. Yeah. Simple oh, like I got that. it. I got it too. The other option, you open it up, and it's a mirror. Like it's one of those, like you know, like those. Like a, so, so you get to take the shot and look at yourself Ooh. while you're doing it. <laughs> Bask in All the right. glory of being Listen, like, "Yep, I did it." We we that's a lot of free ad, that's a lot of free advice that we just gave out. We have to charge Malort in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But but take those freebies. They are the official sponsor uh, of Malort for this season. So you mentioned what you're drinking, Casey. Ron, let's move over to you. What are you working on right now? I know you're still on your whatever hundred so day thing. thing. I'm having I'm I'm having water. So that's real exciting. <laughs> what about you, Alex? You know we're we're talking to a guy who has become Mister Chicago, but 
little known fact about Casey. He's from Michigan. And so for that, I wanted to I wanted to drink a Michigan whiskey. So for you, Casey, tonight I'm drinking Traverse City whiskey. Oh nice. It's the rye whiskey. If I if I can, I I, I like to have a drink that somehow ties to the guest. So there's my little Michigan homage to you. I, 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 I do live in Chicago and love it, but uh, uh, my heart will always be in a cornfield in Michigan called Constantine. I, 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 can never, I can never get away from that. That's beautiful. So our next question for you, Casey, is one that we ask all of our guests. Tell us about a piece of art, and it can really be any type of art, that represents you or really kind of speaks to you, and tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, this is such a cool question, and me not being a huge art buff at all. I remember once I was at a at a museum, and uh, everybody went around. And it was a probably group of like twelve people, and they said, "Well, look at this piece of art. Now tell us what this art says to you." And people, I mean, I must have been with a bunch of PhDs, um, and I mean, they were very eloquent answers. And then by the time they got to me, I'm like, "It's a blue boat." I'm like, I don't know what else. All the rest of you learn. I'm like, "It's a boat. The boat is blue. It's in water. It's a blue boat." Um, so, and maybe in some ways an unqualified person to ask that question to, but if I could extrapolate what art might mean, um, I, I would probably go with the way that Jane Jacobs, uh, who is my favorite author of all time, she wrote Death and Life of Great American Cities. She wrote about cities in such an artful way. Um, she talked about, you know, those aren't people walking down the street. There's a ballet happening outside of your door. Those, are, those aren't shopkeepers just, you know, making a dime. Those are the neighborhood watch that keeps our community safe. And I, I'm paraphrasing a great deal. But I just, I always love the way she wrote and talked about cities because they're, they're living, they're breathing organisms. And yeah, they're made up of a, a bunch of smaller people and personalities and places and public projects and, and, and works and all these things. But um, they, they, they're, we live in those things, and they all make up a much greater part, which is a, a, a city. And so if, if I had to choose one piece of art, it would probably be some of Jane Jacobs' writing, if I could extrapolate on the definition of art. You can extrapolate it however you want. In fact, Casey, I thought you were going to go another step and say your favorite piece of art is the city of Chicago. Oh, I probably which, should have. Which we would accept. Listen, we've had all different types of answers, probably the most – uh, I'm biased because it was what my wife said. She said the Boston Marathon was was her was her favorite or was 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 her piece of art. Oh, that's right. Brilliant. So what a piece of what a piece of art is can be really anything. So I I like what you said, but you know it, it does remind me of you know you and I would talk about when we would walk around the loop and all that, and you knew so much about all of the buildings and the history. And it is interesting, you know, one of the first things I did when I first moved to Chicago was I, I had to read The Devil in the White City. Oh, yeah. And, of course, when you, when you read that book, you know, there was this, this huge divergence in philosophical thought of architects um, where you, you have the those who said, you know what, it's, it's really just about being practical, right? Who cares what the building looks like on the outside? It's just a matter about functionality on the inside. But then you had this huge divergence right? who, who said – no, 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 no. The, how it fits into the city is just as important as any level of functionality that it provides. One of the beautiful things about Chicago is there's so many good and stark examples of both of those schools of thought. Totally agree. Totally agree. So great, great answer. Last question of the Ember Round. Casey is, and I think I know what the answer is, but we'll, we'll see. Name one way 
how COVID has permanently impacted your life. You know, one of the, one of, in, in a positive way is, is the way we like to see oh, yeah, we, yeah. we like to be a positive show. Totally, totally. You know, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to be selfish here and go with two. One, I met my fiance during COVID. Where, that was my guess. And it was great because, you know, she couldn't go on a lot of other dates and see what the rest of the marketplace looked like. So I locked that in <laughs> as soon as as soon as possible, you know, just kn- knowing my position. Yeah, so so I, I had met Navi uh, about a year before we went on our first date. But then, yeah, then we connected on a dating app like a year after running into each other at this networking event. Went uh, went on a, an eight-hour walking tour of Old Town, naturally, as one does, and learning about the history of her neighborhood. And, uh, Did you say eight hours? Yeah, I mean, we were together forever that first date. I think we got together... I, well, eight hours might be a slight exaggeration, but I remember I, I tracked the steps on my phone and we did like 24,000 steps. Oh yeah, it was, it was pretty insane. So I, I would say meeting Navi and like totally falling in love and, and getting engaged in our wedding is this summer. That's absolutely the best change in my life in, uh, uh, during COVID. The distant second, but still enthusiastic second to that is, you know, COVID started, Alex, when you and I were working at Dialogue Tech. Um, But at that same time, and ironically, I met my business partner and I met my fiance at the same network event event called City Open. It's just a bunch of city, like urban and design and economic development gurus. Um, And then me, just a political hack, hanging out in the back, taking everybody's ideas. Um, so I met this guy, Stephen Vance, at that. And when I was working at Dialogue Tech, I was learning a ton. I really loved the team that we were around. But it just wasn't really my bailiwick, right? I'm like, you know, I want to learn more about sales and become more proficient. But I'm like, I uh, I ain't going to retire from this place. So I ended up starting like moonlighting during COVID because, you know, I didn't have a sales manager breathing down my neck, doing some sales on the side for this startup called Chicago Cityscape. And man, I just like absolutely fell in love with it. As I, I used to run a nonprofit, I served on the board of a community development corporation for years. And also part of why I wanted to run for alderman was to like recruit and attract like development and investment and in businesses that like my neighborhood desired and deserved. And it turns out like there's this guy I know who built a software company to do that. And he's like an expert at building the platform, but doesn't really enjoy like customer success and company growth as much as I do. So I um, during COVID I started moon, yeah during COVID I started moonlighting for him and we won a six figure deal in that time that allowed me to jump in and go full time and this is uh, now it's he and I working day and night to to grow that company and serve more folks who are doing good in the city. That's incredible. Wait, wait, and we're gonna there's a lot to unpack and we're gonna get there once we get out of the ember round on the other okay. side. But I, I I have to ask, you're saying at the same exact event you met. Your future wife and your future business partner? Yeah. Well, so I think I met them both at – so Stephen was at the event that I met Navi at. Um, but I met Stephen a few times at the City Open group. But they were both at that same event. Um, yeah. So Moral so, of the story – moral of the story is go to networking events, people. Yeah. A- absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, listen. We're going to unpack all of that when we get to the other side cool. of what you just completed which was the Amber Round. So you made it, Casey. I had faith in you every step of the way. Good job. That's uh, it's fun to run through this. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that we know you a little bit more, why don't we, why don't we hop right into this? I mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, obviously I have a beverage here, you know, paying homage to your Michigander years. But you 
have become Mr. Chicago. I mean, to me, you are Mr. Chicago. How did that happen? Uh, in your eyes, I am. I think that's a pretty high title that uh, folks like Thomas Dijia and uh, Sherman Dilla Thomas deserve uh, much more so than myself. And my buddy Dan Pochazelski, who I think you're having on the show coming up soon. Um, but I don't know. Like, I... I I think I fell in love with Chicago for the same reason that like so many Midwesterners do and so many immigrants do. Like I grew up in a, in a cornfield in Southwest Michigan and like fortunately I was pretty good at tackling people. So a university here uh, recruited me to come check out their university and their ball club. And I was like, man, like all the concerts are here. Uh, this guy running for president uh, lived in this city. This was 2008. Barack Obama was hot on his run. Um, and I knew I wanted to study politics and go into public service, but I wasn't really thinking about Chicago. I just happened to get recruited by a university here. But when I came on campus at North Park University, I like I canceled all my other recruiting visits. Probably not a great way to choose a school, but I was like, this is it. Um, I'm like, they got wow. a ball club I fit into. I, I love the coach, but um, I just loved being in the city. And like, I feel like Chicago is that for so many folks. Like, uh, like we were just out to dinner with some of my fiance's friends who are from D uh, Dubai. And it's like, it's a great place for them. Like you can come and be whoever you are, but like accelerate that in this city. And by the way, like it's still affordable. Um, uh, we have strides to make in safety, but it's still a relatively compared to all other big cities. It's still a safe city. There's interesting places to live. So yeah, I came here to go to school. Then I got involved in a local political organization as first as an intern, then as a volunteer, then as a consultant. And I'm just really, I would say I came here for school and the atmosphere, but I, I absolutely, part of the reason why I stayed was because of the opportunity to participate in public service. It's, um, I would also say, despite what people say of it being like a closed door policy for politics in this town, I actually like strongly refute that. Like I cut my teeth in a local ward office that was, absolutely old school. Um, the, the older person who I worked for, Margaret Loreno, her dad was the dean of city council, which means he was the oldest city sitting, sitting city council member before her. As he was on his way out, I'll say politely, the mayor appointed her to replace him. Um, and then she was there for like 24 years. And I was, as Abner Mikva would say in Chicago history, we don't want nobody, nobody sent. I was absolutely that person. I just showed up and said like, hey, I'll, I'll work for free and I'll knock doors and I'll follow up on phone calls to make sure constituent service requests are answered. And she gave me, uh, uh, Alderman Loreno at that time, this was around 2010, gave me an internship. And I remember at the end of the summer, she asked me, she goes, okay, you, you spent your summer getting screamed at by constituents, uh, uh, cleaning some tree debris out of alleys. She goes, I remember that time you got your elbow stuck in the gutter cleaning out that sewage uh, thing. And then she winked. She goes, well, we know we got a few votes out of it. She goes, so she goes, are we ever going to hear from you again? And I remember I told her, I said, like, Alderman, like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I, I just, like, you know, the, the opportunity to, like, somebody calls you with something you are responsible for, like a constituent service request or legislation but like an older person in Chicago, like you can make a day-to-day -day difference or an impact on like somebody's quality of life. Like you don't need to write legislation. You don't need to pass a huge bill. You don't need millions of dollars. Like you need to make sure their garbage gets picked up or you can help raise some funds for the local school or you can sit down with a business owner and accurately articulate why your section of the city is a wise place for them to open their shop or invest their money or do business. I am, I, I like absolutely love that. Um, and that, uh, that's what kind of 
That opportunity kept me in Chicago. It's eventually why I ended up running for city council, fell a little bit short. Uh, but it's um, that type of like hands-on, like political, uh, political activity and I would say public service is I, so, something I absolutely love about Chicago. So let me play a little devil's advocate for you, Casey, because you could get involved anywhere, right? Not just Chicago. Why is Chicago so special to you? And do you think you'll ever leave? You think you're going to go back to the cornfields in Michigan? <laughs> I uh, can confidently say no, but I will visit often and give money to my high school and the Boosters Club as much as I can, but not be moving back there. Um, you know, uh, Navi, my fiance, is from Queens, New York. So we, we, that's a part of the conversation. If we ever, if we did leave, we would go to New York to be closer to her family once we have kids. But all things equal, I, I really don't ever want to leave Chicago. I think it's uh, like I live up in Albany Park. It's we've got great schools in my neighborhood. We've got accessible public transportation. It's affordable. We've got the best restaurants in the city. I'm not saying the best restaurants for Marie's. Marie's. Shout out to Nadine Caravitas. I, uh, I I just think it's an incredible city that you have so many options to pick a neighborhood, pick a school, pick a place to raise a family, go on a bike ride, eat at different restaurants, experience new things. It's um, and I, I also want to travel more. But like you know, I've been in New York, I've been to Los Angeles, I studied in Helsinki, Finland, I've been to Oslo, Norway, I've been to. St. Petersburg, Russia. I've been to other world-class cities. I just don't think respectfully any of them hold a candle to the accessibility that Chicago has. And just like the Midwesternness of the, of the city. Like, again, I was talking to our friends from uh, India at dinner the other night. And one of the guys, he's, um, he's a successful diamond dealer, but still takes the train. And he's like, you know, I can ask somebody for directions in Chicago and they will happily and enthusiastically give me directions. And tell me interesting things to do along the way. It may, may maybe that happens in other like world class cities, but I just I'm really proud to know like that's like that's the rule. I feel like that's the rule in Chicago, and I just I can't see my I I don't um, I would like to never leave. Family situations might change, but so to expand upon that a little bit, and I love that. Why do you think that is specifically? Like, why are people so friendly and willing to help? Because I'm not sure, like, is it in some cities, like, it's just people haven't lived there long enough or they don't appreciate it? Or is it just a more of a temperament thing where it's just like, nah, buzz off, I'm busy. Like, what are your thoughts about why that is and what that makes, how that makes Chicago special? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, you, you look at, like, what Daniel Burnham did with the plan of Chicago, like, in 1909. It's like, Chicago has always had something to prove. Like we've, we've been the second city, you know, land size now, you know, Houston's bigger, but they just keep gobbling up suburbs. So who the hell would want to live out there? Um, I, I feel like part of it is, and this is just my perspective. I've never read a paper on this and I'm not a PhD myself, but like, I just feel like Chicagoans have an enthusiasm for the city and they just, you know, they, they want to show it off. So it's like, hey, hey, out of town, or you need directions? Yep, here's how you get there. And oh, and here's a cool tavern along the way. Or check out this really cool church, and here's some some history behind it. I, I've often thought like I should like experiment with this, right? And just like get on the CTA and act like I'm on an out of towner, because uh, my Chicago accent isn't faked nearly well enough yet. And just like ask people for directions and record their responses, because uh, I do. I just feel like people want to show off the city. Um, uh, I, I also feel, though, like you talk to some folks who've been here forever. 
uh, particularly folks who are like from like police families or uh, like folks who've worked for the city and they can be, and I, I run into these folks all the time and I love them. To, I run into them when I'm out campaigning and they're like, you know, yeah, I spent, you know, 35 years on the police force, you know, things aren't going our way. We're scared to death of what's going to happen with our pensions. And, you know, we don't think the mayor looks out for us enough. Um, and I say, great, you know, what, what, what are you going to leave? Oh, we could never leave. You know, it's it's just like uh, uh, Nelson Algren uh, said about Chicago, and I, I, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but it's like it's like loving a woman with a broken nose. You know, it's like man, like in some ways might not be you know the the best looking things at time, but like you know she loves you. You know she won't go nowhere else. Um, and if anybody knows Nelson Algren's writings better than I do, please correct me there. But um, like I, I I'm not like a booster in the fact like I don't think our city has problems. Like turn on the news, like. Clearly, obviously, crime starting first and foremost in needing to strengthen our public school system, I think, is a close number two. Number three is creating a more business-friendly, uh, more friendly environment to businesses. But, like, you you, you want to go to – I mean, I don't want to crap on another city, so I won't name one. Um, but, like, sure, go ahead. But, like, sh- I, I just don't I think, think – I fall. think what you're getting at, though, I think what you're getting at, Casey, and it's, it's the level of civic pride. And, and Thank I you. admit, that's so much better than how as, I mean, I liked what you said, but but you know, I've been to a lot smaller cities, smaller. I mean, big towns that have civic pride. I don't know of many cities, world class cities, as you said, that have that level of civic pride. It, it is impressive. Yeah. Um, now I liked it because as as you were kind of giving your 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 defense of Chicago, you, you gave like a a three step plan. You're like, we need to do this. We need to this and then we need to do this it's almost like casey it's almost like that was your like <laughs> you ran on a campaign or something uh which which brings me to my next question which is wait you actually did run uh for public office uh, for the chicago city council i did or alderman of the 39th ward so uh first explain what an alderman actually in chicago is because it's actually very different than being an alderman of many other cities, yeah. but then also explain like what was your campaign experience like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, ironically, when I was running in 2019, I think it was WBEZ, like our local NPR station, did a story on this. There actually is no job description for an alder person. Like you, you can't find a document, <laughs> right? You pay these people, at least in what my world is, a lot of money, uh, but there is there's not a job. There is they're the city's legislator. But that's not actually written anywhere. And they also handle and manage a lot of city services, although that's becoming less and less. So, like, I would say that Casey Smigala's uh, definition or, like, job, job description for an older person would be you help manage city services. So make sure the garbage is picked up. Make sure the streets are clean. Bl- basic blocking and tackling. Uh, number two for me would be make sure public safety in a pathway to self-sustainability is in place in your neighborhood. So like by that, I mean like, you know, you look at everything that has happened over the past three years with racial reckoning and the focus that we need to have on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, You can talk about that in a philosophical way as much as you want. But like in my neighborhood, I think it was the summer of uh, 24, maybe 2015, 2016, we had like multiple kids in my neighborhood get shot. And it happened to be that uh, a hand, a few of them were from the same elementary school. 
So rather than saying like, hey, that the damn mayor, they need to get crime under control or, you know, those darn police, they're not doing enough. It's like, no, like this is no one's, this is, I, I don't know who to blame, so I'm not going to blame anybody. And like, as my college football coach used to say, like, you don't point the finger, you pull the thumb. And so we said like, hey, like so many of these kids came from the same elementary school. We don't have a mentoring program at that elementary school. Let's start a mentoring program at that elementary school. So, so I think that's so much of a part of an older person's job is like you're just filling holes as like the boat has water pouring into them. So public safety is a huge part of that. Taking care of your public schools is another part of that, making sure they have city funding and if they need fundraising set up as well. And again, this is Casey's definition of what an older person does. No, no. And, but I find it really insightful because one of the first things I noticed when I first moved to Chicago was just how important an alderman was. Huge. I mean, I remember all the time it was like, Oh, you got to talk to your alderman about that. And one of the things you'd mentioned, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think it's important to call out, is I almost think of these aldermen as like little mayors they, of the neighborhood. For, like, for better like or for worse. In my, yeah. In my neighborhood, you can't get beer or wine at any CVS or Walgreens or anything. And that's not the case for other neighborhoods. And, mm -hmm. I, and I found that out like, oh, well, that's, that's an alderman's directive. Um, and, and in the case of my neighborhood, it's because we're so close to Loyola and there's the politics of being close to a college. And it's like, but that's, that's left up to at least in part, the directive of, of, of your aldermen, which I, I think is just fascinating because they are little mayors. Yeah. It's called aldermatic prerogative. And one of the, and this is actually a defined role of an older person in, in Chicago is that they, they decide over zoning matters. So if you want to open a liquor store that is not already a liquor store, you need a zoning change to do that. And to get that zoning change, you have to go through that alder person. So in some ways, and in many ways, they have de facto power of what does and what does not get built or, or uh, established in their wards. And, and so many folks fall on different sides of this aisle, you know, um, and I still don't even know myself, like how I feel about aldermatic prerogative. Because like, well, you say, Alex, like, oh, that's the alder person's decision. Yes, but like, does that older person go about making that decision by engaging with folks in their community and getting their input? I, I hope that's the way they do it. Many of them just say, nope, this, is, this isn't what I want and that's not going to happen. Um, so in some ways, I kind of like that the opportunity is up to somebody who is chosen to be elected every four years by that voting body. Um, because if you don't like the decisions that they make, then get them the hell out of office. A little bit harder to do with the way some political operations are established in the city. I, I know that all too well. But um, yeah, so, so zoning and control of the city is a huge power that older people have. Yeah, well, and, and I, I, I do wanna to touch on this before we go to break, is of course, the cynic in me, and I know you're, you're more optimistic than me, which is good. The cynic in me would say, well, who's actually helping the, the alderman make those, the older person make those decisions? The, that when I talk to skeptics, skeptics in my neighborhood, they say Loyola has a lot of influence, and Loyola is is putting a lot of pressure on the aldermen to to make sure that liquor laws stay very tight. So then you start thinking, well, why does a university body have so much influence, more so than maybe the Alex Studs of the world, mm. who, yeah, I want to get my bottle of wine at CVS. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't even think that's skeptical. I mean, that's just a realistic question, right? But um, like responding to a realistic question with a realistic answer is a university represents more people than Alex Studd represents in his condo with his wife. 
So like, that's I, true. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that a university per se deserves a, a more seats at the table. I'm saying if that's so important to Alex Stud, you should organize your neighbors who think alike you do to put pressure on that older person to allow more liquor establishments. I mean, it's just the, the, the ultimate old school way of doing community organizing. Like if you want something done, you need to build a coalition of other folks who want that same thing done and know exactly how to deliver that message and who to deliver that message to um, and how to make offers that they can't refuse. Um, so if you say like, hey, me and me and 125 of my neighbors who signed this petition, who, by the way, are all registered to vote really feel passionately about having a liquor store on this corner. I know a university is going to have a different opinion. We would just love to have an open dialogue with you about this. But it's it's hard to build political power and momentum as an individual, which is, which is why I think it's a good thing. You need to build a coalition. So I, I would say talk to your chamber of commerce up there. Um, talk to your neighborhood and civic organizations up there because I don't think you do get the right to decide. Um, I, I think a coalition of people who could outbalance an opposition should have rights to that table in that conversation. Listen, if, if that doesn't get you excited to jump through, you know, punch through a wall, I don't know what does. So listen, build a coalition. I love it. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Casey, we do need to talk about your actual campaign that you ran in 2019. I, I think it was a great explanation of, of, what an alderman is, what an alder person is. Now you can talk about the campaign. And then we're going to talk about some other stuff. We're going to talk about your startup. And we're also going to talk about your love of the game Monopoly. We have to talk about it. Oh, I, can, I cannot wait. Actually, if you just want to play Monopoly for the second half, that, that's fine with me. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back, everybody. Hey, it's Ron here. And Alex and I wanted to take a moment first to thank you for being a listener to our podcast. Secondly, I've got a challenge for you. This week, if you could, find somebody who maybe isn't familiar with the show and turn them on to it. We'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we're back with Between Two Studs. We're hanging out with Casey. He just gave the background on what an older person in the city of Chicago does. And I want to talk now about your actual campaign. So 2019, you ran to be an older person. You had never ran for political office before, correct? I uh, never ran for that office before. I was, I was elected to a local school council, which is, uh, I would say, an undervalued position in public service. And I'd uh, been reelected once, but certainly never ran for uh, an older person position. I volunteered on some of those campaigns, but never ran myself. So, so talk about that campaign. <clears throat> um, I lost. Can we go on to the next question? No, <laughs> Can we go I, mean, to the next question? I mean, listen, listen <laughs> I think... I, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. You... you you fundraised, if I, unless my numbers are incorrect, you hmm. fundraised $70,000 in nine months, yeah. which right. that is nothing to right sneeze at. You received 27% of the total vote. I mean, it's not like you were just like uh, a write-in candidate who you know got less votes than Mickey Mouse. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I ran because, I mean, like, I won't give you the whole Casey Smigala biography here, but like, um, um, but to be sentimental just for a moment, like, I had great parents growing up, but like, my parents weren't like always able to like fully participate in my life. Um, they both had some habits that took them away from me and my siblings for extended periods of time. But like, what I had growing up, I had a, a strong public school system. I had a job on Main Street that, that I could go to uh, at, at, at any time. 
and I had a really safe community that I grew up in. So the, com the kind of the trio of like strong schools, safe streets, and a lot of businesses like helped me and my family like manage out of like really difficult situations. And like the cool thing about being an older person is like either through policy or through your daily work, like you can influence those things. Like you can help strengthen your local school system. You can help recruit and retain businesses. You can help make sure that your neighborhood is a safe place to, to, to live and work. Um, it's like that, 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 that's why I ran. And I came about that like through experience. Like I went to school in the ward. Um, I, my job helping run the, one of the largest, if not the largest nonprofit in the ward, one of the largest nonprofits in the ward, the Albany Park Community Center for seven years. Um, and I used to work for the older person who I actually announced I was running against. Uh, because like respectfully, like she had been there for 20 something years. I thought she had done a fine job, but I just thought more, I was just more aggressive, I would say, about recruiting and retaining businesses and making sure that the city services there were distributed across the ward and not just hyper-focused to certain sections of the ward. So yeah, um, I, and I, I was the first person to announce that I was running against her. Everybody else was kind of waiting to see if she was going to run again, if if the money lined up right. I didn't run against somebody and I didn't run because I had the money because it turns out I didn't. Um, I ran because like, I thought I had a kind of natural skill set that my community needed on city council. It turns out I was just 240 something votes wrong <laughs> that I, I wasn't the person for the job. So yeah, I, I was actually the first person to announce that I was running against that older person. She eventually, kind of as I had thought she would, she backed out of the race. And she appointed um, another woman from the same parish who had um, so, some pretty applicable experience and the capability to raise a lot of money. Um, and that person who's actually, who ended up winning, I missed what's called the runoff election by 200 and, 200 and something votes. And then I ended up endorsing the woman who won, which, whose name is Sam Nugent, who's actually doing a fine job. I, I, I think Sam had a great pedigree for the role, had some pretty applicable experience to begin with, although I never would have admitted that on my campaign. So she, she ended up outpacing me, but I would say now she's doing a very fine job of, uh, of, of managing the ward. But um, it's, um, it's just tough because like, you know, other people who run for office come from a different background and a different pedigree. Like not only did I lose like that election, which was like near and dear to me, like people knew me as someone who was like, that's Casey, he's, he's going to run for city council. And I hope they think he, he would be good at it. But like I lost an election, but like, I also lost my life savings in that race. Like different than anybody else who was running against me, like this was like a burn the boats moment for me. Like when I when I lost that campaign, I had there there were weeks and maybe even months I I had less than three figures in my bank account. Like I said, like hey, I'm gonna put in this much money into that race. We got towards the end. I said you risked it all. I, we we ran that fucking gas tank till it was on E. <laughs> Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. Cause like, <laughs> and then the car, the car, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that car ended a little bit before we get to the final destination. And man, that was tough. That was, I mean, I, I was broke. I, I also like, it was also just like, it wasn't a loss of an election. Like it was a loss of a sense of identity. Cause like I had served for so much on so many nonprofits. I had met so many folks and that was kind of my shtick, right? It's like, this is Casey, he's a young guy, he cares about the community, he's running for city council. And like, that's what I was known for. And then like, when you lose that, it's like, oh yeah. And now that guy lost. Like, what the fuck's he gonna do now? 
And now you get right? a mom. And it was just, it was, man, I, like, 2019 moving forward, I would say where I'm at now with my current company, I mean, de depressed is probably an overstatement because like mental health is important and people are actually depressed. But I, I was certainly lost because like I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a plan B. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. Throughout the process, I mean, can you just explain for the average listener, what were you actually doing? I mean, I think most people envision kissing babies shaking hands. I mean, what, what were you doing? Yeah. I'll say this in Chicago. It's a lot colder than that. Um, so like to, to, to even be eligible to run for city council. And I, I actually think this is a good thing. And I can't remember what the exact number is, but you have to get thousands of signatures from neighbors who are registered voters that say, yep, Casey should be eligible to run. It doesn't mean they endorse you. It doesn't mean they vote for you, but you have to go door to door and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm Alex you Doug. think I'm qualified I'm Doug. I'm running for to run. Wow. And then they have to they have to sign their name, they have to write their name, and they have to print their address on a sheet of paper just to say, yep, this person's not a total jag off. They should be able to run. Um, so I, I had to do that. And mind you, like I didn't so my the, my opponent who beat me, she inherited a political organization from the established older person. My other opponent. Um, was this sitting committee person. We don't have enough time to dive into what that is, but they were already an elected person who had an established organization to go out and knock on doors for them. The other person I was running against was a Chicago police officer. So he had unions and he also had a lot of union support. I had me, some friends from the Chamber of Commerce, some immigrant families that I served at the Albany Park Community Center and like my network of friends. So a fraction of the money not really a lot of established organization, but like, like we punched well above our weight class. I will, I will say about my team. Um, and um, I'd actually, I, I don't know a way to prove this, but I, I asked around to the other candidates. I also think we s submitted more signatures than any other campaign um, for our petitions saying, yep, this, these people are, are, are allowed or eligible to run. We, we pounded the pavement, man. I, I walked about two marathons a week, um, knocking on doors and talking to voters and, learning from them what their section of the city needed, sharing with them like the skills and experiences I had to, to work for them on city council. It, it is a physical, like people underestimate this. It is a physical endeavor to, to be able to knock on that many doors, talk to that many people face to face. And then once you're done with that, you've got to get to a neighborhood meeting. After that, you got to go to a chamber of converse round table. After that, you got to get to a civic function. Um, it's, it, it takes a lot and it, it's, I, I lost about 20 pounds during my campaign. Um, as someone who didn't really have 20 pounds to lose, it is, it's a physical endeavor. And on top of that, like, you have to know the issues because like running in the 39th ward, like I live in Albany park that is heavily immigrants. We also have wonderful communities like Mayfair, which is like staunch, like city worker, middle-class America. You also have Sauganash, which is business executives, luxurious single family homes. You've got, you've got Edgebrook that is just like quaint and like should be in a magazine, has a gorgeous downtown. And all of them have like different priorities, different issues, different assets too, I, I should have led with. But like, you've got to know like- that Well, like that's the, just within living in the, one No one thinks board. of themselves as someone who- yeah, yeah. To me, that's I, I had two universities, two golf. 
Yeah. In one ward, what was kind of cool, I had two universities, two golf district, two golf courses, which I, which I liked. Um, and completely dis- like multiple cemeteries. Like, it looked more like a congressional district. It was just, it was that diverse. So like an additional to being like a very physical endeavor to like be able to run, like you've also got to know that like, you know, an immigrant family in Albany Park needs something different out of a council person than, you know, like an executive who lives in Sauganash. And both of them have full rights to city services and city and and, uh, public service. Right. But like you've got to be tough enough to know, like, I need to knock on that door and talk to that person. But you've also got to be, like, respectful enough to know, like, their issues and concerns and assets are going to be different across the different neighborhoods. And so, and, and I think we did a really good job on having empathy for everybody on each side of all of those aisles. We just, we just needed, you know, 300 more votes to, 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 to make it there. And that comes down to something that I know especially when it comes to voting time, it, it's always a little bit difficult for people where some people always kind of have this impression that my vote doesn't matter, right? And, you know, as somebody who's gone out there, who's campaigned, could you tell us, like, as somebody who's not going to go vote, what would you tell them? Yeah, it is, especially in your city council election. And I mean this, like, across any city, because I know you guys have millions of listeners all across the country and globe. Um, Thank you. Uh, there, there's... <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, vote, vote for president. Sure, go ahead. Because like people vote for president about who they're pissed off about, in, in my opinion. I'm painting with a really big brush here. But like, you're a city council member. Like if you're upset with the, the activity of the small business community, if you're upset around roads and bridges and, and infrastructure, if you're upset that you know, you don't think the police have enough ties with the community that they represent and work for. In my opinion, you you are a lost cause in voting for the presidential election. Like where that where that rubber hits the road is in your municipal elections. And and I would have to explain that to folks all the times at the door. Like, why should I vote for my city council person? Well, like I see your garbage isn't picked up. Are you upset about that? I'm sure you're on Facebook griping and complaining about it. You know who controls that? Your city council person. Wait, so when um, no I know one picks you have up a lot garbage, of opinions on the ways to strengthen. And I, someone doesn't pick up my garbage, I shouldn't like write a letter to the White House. <laughs> I, you know, I think Joe Biden is a really active guy. I'm sure Uncle Joe would pick up that phone call. First, you should call three one one in the city of Chicago, uh, but then you should also let your older person know because uh, it's now on a grid system, which changed in 2010 uh, or 2010-ish. Um, but yeah, you, you should call your local older person about those city services. Because like most of the blocking, the things that like make a day-to-day impact on people's lives, like so often that's handled by your municipality. So like that's what I share with folks all the time. Like municipal elections matter than more ways you could ever imagine. And then rather than asking people to imagine how local politics affects them, I often ask them, what are you pissed off about? Because I mean, that's a laundry list, right? It's like, how much time do you have? And I can tell you how many of those like issues are response to the responsibility of like your local alder person or a department that that alder person could be an ombudsman to. I'm like, it, it, I, I, I'm totally biased. I admit this, but like nothing's more important than your local election. Whether you live in, you know, the city of Chicago or Constantine, Michigan, where I grew up, like your local elections matter a great deal. So if I'm hearing you correctly, I need to stop griping to my local news organization and reach out to my locally elected politicians. I, Is that I right? I cannot agree more. Yes. Ooh. 
I'm excited. I'm going to write all sorts of emails tomorrow. And I, you know, and I think most folks would be like pleasantly surprised and how like responsive they are. Like if, if you say like Alex, if you were to email Harry Osterman's team, I also think his team does a very good job. But if you're saying, Hey, I'm Alex Studd. I live at XYZ address. I'm a registered voter. You know, these are my concerns. I like to open up a conversation here. I'm very confident like they would respond to you. Um, and, and maybe that's particularly to Harry Osterman, whose ward you live in, or like Samantha Nugent, who's the older person for the ward I live in. But like, it matters. Like if you live there, I mean, they're, you're paying their salary. Like when, when, when one of my customers comes to me and has a request of like my software platform, like you're damn right I'm going to respond to them because like I rely on that person to pay for my upcoming wedding. I feel like in many ways on the local level, I feel like elected officials are, at least I think in the ones that I know are quite empathetic to their constituents because one, they're elected to do so, but also like you're their boss. Like you're, you've elected them to do this job. It's fair of you to follow up with them and ask them for questions about their job. And a follow-up question with that, we had episode 33, we had uh, Brian Palladion, and he actually interned for then Senator Barack Obama. Hmm. So one of the things that he told us was he, he explained that because of what's going on with senators, how busy they were, they tended to not always be the most receptive to uh, my barbecue invitations. Should I send my local city uh, politicians, you know, invites to my local you know, barbecue at my house, assuming everything's going all right with the pandemic. Is that um, fair? Uh, absolutely. And please invite me as well. Um, but I always joke, like I, I, I joke all the time that like, you know, I lost my election by less than 300 votes. I'm always like, I just missed somebody's barbecue. Like that's all it was. Like yeah. I, I, I chose to do something else, like go knock on some doors. Um, so I, I would say, especially like your local older person, and I would bet, I mean, if it fits into their, regardless if it fits into their schedule, at least in Chicago, I bet you would be greeted with a very enthusiastic response. Uh, I, I bet that email response was, hey, thank you for thinking of me. And, you know, here's my schedule. Let, let, let's get it in the books. Um, it's, it's been my experience as someone who ran for office. Um, and even like my older person now, Sam Nugent, who like, I get it, like the woman beat me, but she's doing a bang up job. She's doing a very good job. She makes herself very available because like you have to, there's only 55,000 people in this ward and, and not all 55 of them vote. It's less than half of that. So now you're looking at a pool of let's call it, let's call it 22,000 constituents. If you get multiple people in that race, like in my race, I just need 300 more votes. Like not only like I do, I think they're, they're empathetic and good people and would show up to that barbecue, like darn it, like they need the votes. And they so, enjoy so, doing good barbecue too. Right? And, and not to mention, um, yeah, I mean, I got fed so well during my campaign. Um, <laughs> awesome. uh, and I, I'm sorry, I know this isn't a question you asked, but one other thing that I'll say too about, about why I love Chicago. On my campaign, I would meet people who would say, you know what, I think you're too young. I don't think you're experienced to re represent me on city council. I think your, your, your opponents are, are, are more aligned with me on policy. You're not my candidate. But hey, I know it's cold out here. Do you, do you, do you need some soup? I, I, there were so many people. I, I tell you, going door to door to ask people for their votes is the most humanizing experience that people, I think, often get confused. They think you're going to get a door slammed in your face. Like, don't mind me. Like, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. That happened a few times. But like, I mean, I was walking a marathon a week talking to thousands of voters. Very seldom did I get a door slammed in my, my face. I would have folks say like, hey, like, I, 
you're not my type of candidate. I think you're too young. This older person, they're, they're a mom. I'm a mom. I want to vote for a mom. But like, do you need to come in and get warm? Or like, you know, I'm also campaigning when it's like 105 degrees in our summer. So do, do, do you need some water? It was such a like humanizing experience to know that folks like, like I just wasn't their candidate, but you know, they were so pleasant. And maybe that's the thing up in the 39th ward and we've got the best people, you know, in the city here. I, I think folks are like this all around, but they were just, it just restores your faith in humanity that folks would be like, you know, I will tell you to your face, I will not vote for you, but I'm happy to give you a cold drink of water if you need it because you're working your butt off. It was just, it was such a, it was such a heartwarming experience to, to ironically tell folks they weren't going to vote for me, but still like appreciate that I was putting in the work to run for office. Yeah. And like you don't see that if you run for Senate, you know, because you're not run, going door to door. So I'd also say for anybody listening to this who has like a, any person show up to their door, like please treat them with some empathy because like it's a physical endeavor. It costs money to be there. And like it's how the democratic process works. I mean, you should hear them out when they, when they show up to the front door and offer them a drink of water or a bathroom break if they need it. All right. Final question for you. And <laughs> thank you for uh, listening to some of my off-the-wall questions there. So, are you going to be running again in the near future? Uh, uh, you, oh, you asked it the right way. In the near future, um, no, because I'm getting married this summer, so that's that's priority number one. Fair. Um, fortunately, my fiancé is a rock star and accepts me for all of my bad habits and is supportive of me uh, uh, running for office in the future. But, like, the, the challenge I have with, like, running for office again right now is just, like, the opportunity I have in front of me with my, with my company, Chicago Cityscape. Like, again, so much of what I wanted to do on city council was, like, spark the right type of, like, economic and housing development in my ward and also recruit and retain businesses. And, like, that's what you can do as an older person, right? So, like, so many folks, like, want to get into politics. Even though I got a degree in political science but with a focus in urban planning, like, getting into politics really wasn't my goal. Like, I wanted to be on city council because like you can do economic development, you can do uh, real estate and, and, and housing development and you have a direct impact on like quality of life plans. Like I don't think you necessarily have that as a city, as a, excuse me, as a state senator or a state rep. I think you don't have any control over that. In fact, aside from being a piggy bank, like at the, at the Washington DC level, maybe as a county commissioner, I think you have some impacts on that. So. For me to run for office again, like I would need to see an office that like I want to run for. Um, and so many of the folks like they don't give a damn about that. They're like, yep, I want to be a politician. I'm going to run for anything and everything that's in my line. Like I don't want to do that. So like the, the woman who beat me is actually doing a, a very good job. She, she, she is. And I'm not just being a good sport. Samantha Nugent is a good older person. And she's also a dynamite fundraiser. And I don't think I could ever raise enough money to beat her. And like why do that anyways? Because she's doing a fine job. Um, so one, I would need to find I would need to find something I was passionate about running for, and I haven't really seen that yet. But with the software company I run, Chicago Cityscape, what we do is we're the first software company in Chicago, and I would argue across the country, although we're only focused on the Chicago market for now, that like democratizes access to data that local elected officials, community development corporations, chambers of commerce, business improvement districts, which we call special service areas in Chicago, we're the first company to democratize access to the data they deserve. Like way too often, right? Like Starbucks, unfortunately, has more information about the asset-based data of your neighborhood than you do. 
Um, and I, I don't have any data to prove that, but I also don't need to because you know that because Starbucks always operates the most lucrative corner in every community. And, and just so I know, Casey, when you talk about this 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 data, are you talking about financial data of the neighborhood? Uh, you're talking about ethnicity, religion. I mean, what do you what do you mean when you're talking about data of the neighborhood? Yep, yep. So it's the, the mosaic. So great question, Alex. It's the mosaic of all of that data. So our founder, who is an urban planner by trade, worked for a zoning consultancy firm for years, but also a computer scientist. Like no, there is no other brain like Stephen Vance, my my company's founder. He's absolutely brilliant, and also like wildly empathetic and ethical. We we built a platform that organizes and aggregates over 130 sources of property data, policy information, and market insights. So like, again, going back into my neighborhood in Albany Park, I remember early in my days of raising money for the community center there, I won't mention the bank's name, but I'm in a bank downtown in the financial district, and I'm talking to some white dude in a suit, and he goes, oh yeah, Albany Park, you know, aren't there just a lot of like Latin gangs feuding for drug territory in that neighborhood? And I had to not so politely be asked to leave that meeting because I start MFing this guy. Here I am like in a suit, like total imposter syndrome, like trying to pretend I'm the role, right? And I, I was sent there to ask this dude for money. But like, he just like completely stereotyped and insulted my neighborhood. And I probably should have been a little more professionally development at the time and not mf the guy and had to be escorted out of his bank's office but like <laughs> what what cityscape does now is like because like he, here's where that guy's right we do have vacant lots in my neighborhood we do have some gang violence in my neighborhood that needs to be improved through community engagement and opportunities and a little bit of law and order too frankly but but what we also have in our neighborhood is like vacant lots that are available for a lot of government incentives that are available and ripe for affordable housing development. We also have an older person who's very favorable to those types of developments. We also have a lack of certain retail in our community. That data is never in the hands of the local leaders who deserve it. But Cityscape pulls all of that into one platform. So now like the local chamber of commerce or the community development corporation, or like God bless them, a for-profit developer or real estate professional can say, yeah, that land there that's right next to a train station we don't see enough affordable housing with retail for sneaker shops, but we've got a plethora of schools in this area where folks would buy sneakers and need affordable housing. And we've done this before, so like we've got the numbers that make this pencil, we should try to acquire that vacant lot. Like Cityscape, my company, is the first place that democratizes access to that information on a SaaS software-based as a service model to give that information to the folks, to local leaders who can use it and deserve it. So all that is a long answer to say, like, I don't know if I'm going to run for office again because so many things that I wanted to do in one ward, I'm now able to do with Chicago Cityscape across the whole city. So, Casey, I just want to make sure I want to make sure I understand. So the idea is I'm a small business owner or, or a potential small business owner. Maybe I, I'm, I'm in the process of getting a loan from a bank. Maybe not that that banker that you, you dealt with downtown, but another another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't name drop me because they're not picking up that phone call. <laughs> Yeah, I I could use your services to to say, hey, I, I want to find the right neighborhood that fits my business, my business needs based on the profile, the background, and you're pulling from all these different sources. I assume also census data as well to yeah. be able to say this is the right neighborhood, this is the right location. Oh yeah, and I already know and have the confidence 
that I'll have the support of the local politicians. Yeah. So all of that is right, except maybe the end user. Our end user is usually the real estate agent or developer advising the small business person. I see. A, a small a small business person who would use us to identify site would probably want to be identifying like four sites at, le- at least because if you're lo- if you need four sites for a location you have to look at forty, which means you got to look at a lot of demographics, you got to look at a lot of zoning information, you have to familiar site familiarize yourself with all those older persons, but it's most like real estate agents and brokers. Um, real estate developers are, are heavy users of our platform, but also any nonprofit that is practicing in community real estate and economic development is, is spending more time than they should researching data and information, not using our platform. And I don't mean to make this too much of a commercial, but like knowing that we work with so many nonprofits, we also like never let price get in the way of serving them. But like some of the largest real estate firms in the city of Chicago use us as a very reliable source of community and real estate information because for the first time, so much of the data they need is aggregated and organized into one place versus before it was divorced on like poorly ran government portals or like paywall protected private sector sites. It's, it's all in Chicago cityscape now. I see. So I'm a realtor. I'm an investor. I'm, I'm working with a potential client on finding the right location. Let me ask you this. How do I, if someone's listening to this, to this podcast, they want to learn more about your services. How do they get in touch? Uh, we've got a very active website I'm always working on improving um, called chicagocityscape.com or they could simply email me at casey at chicagocityscape.com. And we'll be posting – we'll post a link with the description of this episode. Oh, cool. So if you need to reach out to Casey, you got a perfect way to do yeah. it. Now, now, Casey, I have to pivot. Speaking of helping people buy up land, we have to talk about this wonderful game – Old Monopoly. And it's one of those things where everyone's played Monopoly, although not everyone has finished a game of Monopoly. But if you played it this week, that's my question. Or if they have, uh, sometimes they get into a fight and they have friends that they've never spoken with since. Um, You are obsessed with this game. Uh, Absolutely. And I say that that in an endearing way. You love the game of Monopoly. Can you talk about this wonderful game and I have to ask, because we talked about your political career, Monopoly is the ultimate dog-eat-dog game. Does, does that also, is a part two, does it influence your political beliefs? You know, I, I think it's like an alter-ego thing, actually. And my, my fiance's pointed this out to me. Like, in like the real world, I'm not so much, like I'm a very, I very much so believe in the free market and that it can take care of a lot of the ills of, you know, the world, although it's not the only thing that should be in place to help folks climb the ladder. But, um, like, I'm not the most, like, capitalistic person, but my goodness, like, when you get me on a Monopoly board, I, um, it, it just, wrong. it provides, yeah, and, yeah, maybe because, but also, like, it just allows so many opportunities to, like, wheel and deal and conversate and, like, Find a deal that makes sense for them in the moment and makes sense for you in the moment. Um, I yeah, I absolutely love Monopoly. I would I'm a person who doesn't have a lot of time, but I would make time to play Monopoly any at least one night a week if uh, if folks wanted to to, to to play. I remember before COVID, uh, you you in, you invited me over to your place 
And oh, that's I, right, with the, with the two pastors, too. Yes, it was wonderful. I, I, I love that game. But I felt so bad because I started, like, uh, um, I started my own alliance. And then in retaliation of my alliance, there was a second alliance. And then there ended up being a third alliance. And uh, that was, I had a bottle of champagne that I was drinking. And uh, uh, By yourself, by the way, did not share all that much. You're like, oh, I bought this bottle of uh, bubbles <laughs> to share with the only person whose last name is Stud in this room, which happened to be you. But, but you know, it was, it was so fun. And here I am talking with two holy men and, you know, totally yeah, yeah. Like, like pillaging them, like totally screwing them over. And I, I felt guilty about it later. Not totally, because Pastor Sharif, Josh Sharif, ended up winning that night. That's that's right. I well, in the yeah. end, they all turned against me. You know, there was like a double. There was like a double cross. There you go. Uh, hey, again, you asked about political. You know, how do I get uh, 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 my way for this liquor moratorium? Before political organizing, organizing matters than anything else. So, few questions for you on Monopoly, because. You're passionate about it. I want to know these things. What's your favorite variant of the game? Are we talking Star Wars? Are we talking Simpsons? Like, what's your favorite version of, of Monopoly? Oh, yeah. You know, I guess I, I don't play many variants. I, I, I have, I'm a very, uh, uh, too many people say this, so it's kind of diluted. But I'm at, if you get to know me, you'll know it's actually the truth. I'm a pretty modest person. Um, but I do own a luxury Monopoly board. And Alex, you saw this at Monopoly. It's like a wooden uh, 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 board that has like a, like, it's not leather, but it's a nice cloth top to it. So I guess I don't have many variants it's, that I like, but like I do like. Board games, it's like what board games were like 100 years ago, right? Like they weren't mass produced, cheap okay. plastic. It's like, yeah. this is, this is nice. Alex, you said that better than I ever could. I always say, like, if my apartment caught on fire, again, my apartment, not where my fiance is at, what I would do is I would I would push my bookshelf out of the window because my books are all aligned on the window in my room. I would grab my Monopoly board, and if I had time, I would wake my roommate up and let him know that he needs to get out of the apartment as well. Uh, but it is that order. yeah, it is that much of a prized possession to me, my luxury Monopoly board that I bought three or four years ago. All right, next question. What's your ideal piece that you want to play with? Um, great question. I never tell anybody the answer to that. But I will tell you, I, I have very specific in, in hyper-strategic places on Monopoly board that I wheel and deal very hard to earn. Um, but if I told you that, that would give away my secret sauce. And I don't tell anybody that. I always go for the oranges. It's like Indiana, yeah. Illinois. I always go for those. You're on the right track, Alex. What's your favorite house rule that you've played with Monopoly? Oh, thank you for asking. A, a knock that Monopoly gets is it takes too long. So my favorite house rule is there are no house rules. Because a way that you could speed the game up is like when someone lands on free parking, they don't get a bunch of free money. That's stupid. That's also like not the way the real world works, mind you, which is what this game is taught to teach you or preface to teach you. Um, so I actually like to play the standard game. Like you get two hundred when you pass. What happens when you when you land on free parking? You just get nothing. No, you just you just get to land there for free, and then you move on. Because so often people will play that if you land in free parking, you get a pot of money that gets placed into the middle. I don't do any of that because like it puts too much chance and it like eliminates more strategy in the game, and it just it makes it go longer. 
What's your take so on also, double? What's your take on double hotels? Or are you strictler like you can only have one hotel? No, you can only have one hotel. It's the way the rules were written. Okay. Like and okay. like the real game of Monopoly should only take about two hours. And like and I talk about this all the time, like with my fiance Navi, um, who again, as you may have heard throughout the course of this podcast, I can't say enough about. But I'm like our future kids, like. I'm not trying to turn them into like the next Jamie Diamonds of the world, which, by the way, would be awesome if they were. Great retirement policy for us, you know, head banker at J.P. Morgan Chase. But like, he wasn't the just, he wasn't the one who, who who yelled at you, right? He wasn't working at bank one I, time. No, I was never in a room with Jamie Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Diamond would box you. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be on this car if I mf Jamie Diamond. Um, uh, but it's like it's just a great it's just a great tool to teach like any young person about business and society. And I'm not saying like that's the way like the world absolutely and like verbatim works, but it's just a good way to develop some, some business skills and acumen. It's, um, it, it, it's a great game and it shouldn't take more than two hours to play if you play it by the rules and by the book. So listen, we're going to wrap up the show, but before we do, you've been talking about this lovely lady who I have met I think two or three times and she is lovely. But I, I do want to talk about what is – you're recently engaged. You have a wedding coming up. What's going on in your mind right now? Because I remember going through it. It's kind of a crazy whirlwind. Yeah, I would say uh, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is what are all the things I was supposed to do that Nubby assigned me to do for our wedding today that oh, haven't yeah. been done yet? <laughs> um, but no, like she, she's awesome. Um, uh, you know, some advice I sat next to a guy at a fundraiser once who gave me so much of the premise of his book. I didn't need to read it, uh, but he wrote a book on like, how do you find like your love match or your life partner? And he said, it's more simple than people think. He goes, do things you like doing and talk to people who are there. Um, and for me, it makes total sense, right? Cause like I met Navi at like a network event. She was also the keynote speaker at that evening for like something I was very interested in, like real estate and community economic development. Um, and so like, it was just awesome. Like we met around something we both had like a combined interest in, and now like it helps so much, like in our relationship, like I, I need, like, I'm so lucky. Like I have a fiance that I'm like, Hey babe, like I need some business advice. Like how do I like articulate this to a client? But also like, we just enjoy so many of the same things. Cause like we met at something we both enjoy, which is like community and real estate development. Um, so she, she, she works for a developer. She's also from, she was born in Punjab, India, but grew up in, in Queens, New York. So like we both have like a love of cities. Um, if you ever see her, she's like way out of my league looks wise. As uh, my college football coach would, uh, would say, I, I outkick my coverage by about a mile. But she's, um, she, she, she's awesome. And we're getting married this August. I'm doing everything I can to keep pace with all the wedding plans. It's going to be a pretty traditional Indian wedding, actually, which I'm psyched for as a total, like, white dude from Michigan. Um, I'm just, like, psyched to be a part of this and, and marry her and become a part of her family and her culture. It's um, I, I could not have been luckier. Um, some people find their, their better half. I've found my better three-thirds or three-fourths here. I like that. Well, so for the sentimentals... Uh, who are listening, if I remember correctly, you proposed to her in Central Park. Am I right? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I So the funny thing was, so our first date, like I said, was like a 24,000 step walking tour of, of uh, Old Town and um, kind of the surrounding blocks in her neighborhood. So I let her know. I'm like, hey, babe, like, let's go on a walking tour of Central Park and I want your parents to come. 
And her dad, who is just like a total boss, like Ram Sundu doesn't do anything Ram Sundu like doesn't want to do. And I'm like, yeah, I talked to your dad about it. And he said like, he's down. And she's like, oh, my dad wants to go on a walking tour of Central Park. Sure. Okay. So, so the day comes around and this was in, oh, well, yeah, it's coming up on about a year. It was, it was in March of, of uh, 2021. And dude, it, it, it is, it is raining cats and dogs. It's like 38 degrees, like cold New York day. And I get up like as bubbly as I always am. I'm like, yep, let's go on our walking tour of Central Park. And her dad's like, yeah, we're doing that. And she's like, it was weird to me that like, my dad was on board. Because like my dad like just wouldn't do that. And he was like, we're doing this. I'm driving. I found parking. So yeah, we took a walking tour of Central Park like in the f- nearly freezing rain. Um, yeah, and we came up on this pond. And it was awesome because I'd choreographed like with a photographer and the tour guide. Like, oh, yeah, walk closer and we'll get this picture. And then uh, by the time she turned around, I was down on one knee and asked her to, uh, to, to marry me. Uh, probably against her better judgment at many points in the future, she said yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting married this August. And I, I could not be like a, a, a luckier guy on the, on the face of earth. That's fantastic. Well, Thank you, listen, I don't, know, I don't know where to go from here. So I think we're just going to wrap it up. But listen – you have a lot of exciting things going on in your future. We're so glad you were on the program. You have your business, which we will absolutely communicate out. And please keep us updated uh, as your business continues to evolve, especially when it expands to other cities, uh, which sounds like that is a, an ultimate goal. Um, good luck with your wedding. Good luck with your political, your future political career. Keep us updated uh, and good luck with all your future Monopoly games, except when you're playing with Alex Studd. And in those cases, I hope you get your ass beat. <laughs> so, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So with that, listen, Casey, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, everyone have a good night. This has been awesome. Thank you, fellas. Thank you.